Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of The Last Picture Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Locadia PhotoWorks, a creative space for photographers in the San Diego area. Christy and I are charter members of the studio, which is founded and operated by Donald Morelli, our guest today. The studio is located in the heart of Locadia and is equipped with a photo psych and equipment that is available for rental. Locadia PhotoWorks is how we first got to know Don personally. The first time I sat down with Don, I was impressed not only with his resume, of course, but with what a down-to-earth and nice person he is. Don's a great guy to know and work with, and it was an honor to have him as our first guest. I have to tell you that before I met Don a few years ago, I was kind of nervous to meet him because although he didn't know who I was, I'd known of him because he's kind of a bigwig in the totally. photography world. Yeah. We barely got to cover so many of his achievements, so we'll be sure to have to have him back on again. Yeah, agreed. We did touch base on his Olympic game coverage and his most recent job for the New York Times that he shot locally here in Encinitas. But Don is also known for some other cool stuff, like shooting for Sports Illustrated, Mm -hmm. such as the Super Bowl. (laughs) He shot uh, for years as a staff photographer at Getty Images. He's been featured in Outside Magazine mm-hmm. for his innovative drone photography yeah. back before everyone was doing it. Don also shoots the Iron Man. What I think is the coolest thing on his resume is that his pictures from Iron Man were featured in National Geographic Magazine. Amazing. And just recently, in the last few months, he placed again for sports photography in the prestigious POYI and MPPA contests. He makes it look easy. Yeah. No big deal. Collecting awards all around. (laughs) Thanks for checking out the show today. Remember to go to our website at thelastpicturepodcast.com for more information and photos from today's guest and our upcoming shows. You can also find us on social media at lastpicturepod. All right, here we go. And here's our conversation with Don Morelli. Hey, it's another day and we're hanging out talking to photographers. It's not so bad. This is The Last Picture, a podcast not just about photography. Because sometimes the coolest part about being a photographer are the stories behind the shot and the adventures that get you there. I was looking on Facebook this morning and I saw that your wife posted something about you shooting for a New York Times last week. Yeah, they just went live with the story I did for night surfing for the New York Times. It was cool because I was able to shoot at home and shoot a sport that I do almost every day and that I love and do it at all my local breaks. So you know? cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was wondering, It was. did you choose the spots or did, first of all, what? Who were you taking photos of and why? Well, there's there's a writer involved with the story, too, and he's been interviewing these guys and talking to them and hanging out with them for a couple months, and then I connected with them, and I started liaising with, you know, when and where we should shoot, and I started also tracking, you know, the swell and the moon cycles because we wanted to kind of time it with a good full moon for photos, but also for light, and then we just picked out the spots after that. We just picked out where we want to shoot, and I kind of just said, hey, you know, this spot looks good, or I want to shoot here because it's closer to shore, it's going to be good for this photo, or this spot's going to be good for this photo. So we pretty much shot it over like three or four different locations 
over three days. And at what time were you shooting these? Uh, when I should have been sleeping. <laughs> like the alarm was going off at 3 a.m. and I was sneaking out of the house, trying not to wake up anyone. And and then we'd go and sit out there to, from like 3 a.m. to like pretty much to like 8 o'clock in the morning when the sun was up. Sunrise. Past yeah. Sunrise. And then we do on the flip side when the sun was setting into the dark. Mm. So from like 6 o'clock to like 8 o'clock or 8.30. Okay. So, yeah, my little schedule was all messed up, but it was it was worth it, you know. Sounds, sounds so fun. Mm-hmm. Sounds really cold. It was cold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I came, I was actually wearing, like, my full-on either my, like, snow outfit in the morning, Gore-Tex jacket, puffer jacket, long pants and shoes and gloves, or in the water I was using a 4-3 wetsuit and a hood and all that stuff. Poor assistant that was with me, Eric, he showed up in his shorts the first day and <laughs> froze his ass off. <laughs> nice. I was like, tomorrow, bring your warm clothes, buddy. Oh my gosh. It's, we're sitting in the dark here. So. Can you tell me who you were photographing? Are they, were they professional surfers? Or they- no, no. Even better, they're just local kind of crusty old men that hang out at Swami's and yeah, you know, hang sure. out at the beaches here. And, you, you know, guys that I recognize, I've never, you know, really like hung out with them and spoke to them before, but I recognize them from surfing and which is kind of cool because you realize that, you know, it's not all about pro surfers. It's about the everyman guy who goes out every morning or goes out at night and surfs and is dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. Are they just, they call themselves night surfers? No, they, or... surf, they surf whenever, okay. you know, but they've just been going surfing at night when the conditions are right for a while just to get the spot to themselves, you know, and yeah. go out there and, and have the lineup to themselves. But it's kind of sketchy because you can't really see much at night, you know? I was no. going to say, and, was it kind of scary? Don't well, know. and the hard part was lighting it. Like, how are you supposed to photograph something without light or very little light? So it was a really hard problem I had to solve where I had to light the board somehow. So I got these little constant lights called loom cubes that I mounted on the guys. On, and on the boards, and it gave off a good amount of light, enough of the light to register and see them, you know, when they're on, on the wave. And then the best stuff came out of when either the dusk or the sunrise was balanced with the light, the available light, you know. Yeah. And that those are the best pictures, in my opinion. And then, you know, I did some stuff in the water, did some stuff from like an aerial drone, and yeah, I was able to cover a lot of different angles. Did you shoot from land as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I shot from land as much as possible because I didn't want to get in the cold water yeah. at night. So, but I understand I, that. Yeah, I did one session in the water, and that's all I needed. So, When you shoot from land surfing, like how big of a lens are you using? It's like a 400-millimeter lens, and then like the one spot we shot over here, there's a jetty. So I walked out to the edge of the jetty with a 400-millimeter, and they're almost full frame oh, okay. in the picture. And then, but to tell you the truth, most of the stuff, the better stuff I shot was with the 7200 where it was like, get placement you know like it showed the environment Mm -hmm. because I mean if you're just shooting with a 400 millimeter lens it ends up being kind of a stock action shot which is kind of boring yeah you know so I was trying to do the entire scene which tells more of the story tells more of the story yeah would you consider yourself a sports journalist or a sports photographer or do you have a I I consider myself just a photographer you know I mean I, I feel like I could take pictures of anything but I get paid more to shoot sports than anything else and that's fine by me because I enjoy shooting sports and athletes but I mean I enjoy going out and shooting nature going out and shooting underwater scenes go out and shooting you know you know landscapes and stuff like that but I think I'm known to be a sports photographer more than anything else yeah and it seems like you've shot several Olympic games 
right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm on number eight, maybe. I think this last last year's was number eight. I think. Okay. How does that add up? Aren't they every four years, right? Yeah, Except but they, they switch it now winter summer. Two. So in two years, Korea okay. is happening, and then two years after that, Tokyo is happening. Okay. So I'm not like. 70 years old. <laughs> you could do it. Obviously. You know, get back in the day, you know, I think in 88 or 92, they switched it where they kind of, they staggered it. Yeah. Which they, was good for them because every two years there's Olympics. Before the summer and the winter Olympics were in the same year. And that was kind of You had to wait forever. Yeah. For, yeah. And it was for a, the games. I mean, if you think for the IOC and also for all this, all the media involved, that's a Herculean effort to have two Olympic games in one year. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think in marketing purposes too, it makes more sense to break it up. So. Yeah, I think I was first bummed by that. It made it seem less special because as a kid you waited four years, but mm-hmm. it makes sense in this modern day to yeah. have it like that. There's so many winter, winter and summer sports now that you, you could literally do it this way and it's better for everyone. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of people who follow your work or you know admire what you do are people who hope to be sports photographers would think that the Olympics would be a dream job. From what I know from other colleagues that have shot the Olympics and maybe hearing some stories from you, it seems like it's a lot of preparation and a lot of hard work. One guy's dream is another guy's nightmare. (laughs) It's a lot of work and I think the Olympics ends up breaking a lot of people and I feel like myself, I only have so many in my tank. Like I think I'll be able to do 10 of them and then I'll be happy. But because you're just dealing with something that takes, you know, over 20 days if you're doing all the previews you know, opening ceremonies, 16 days of competition and closing ceremonies, you know, you're dealing with three weeks of 20 hour days. So just imagine working 20 hour days for three weeks. It's exhausting. And you just are shaving off a year off the end of your life every time. You probably get <laughs> sick. Yeah. You, you lose weight. You go on an Olympic diet, which is, you know, usually crap food in a bus and you don't get sleep and you're just working off coffee and adrenaline. Yeah. And, but the cool thing about it is Every day, there's an awesome picture that could be had, you know, and there's something, an amazing Olympic record that's going to be broken or a moment that'll never happen again. And you want to be able to capture that. It's pretty, pretty fun. It's, it's definitely like, for me, it's the pinnacle. If you're a sports photographer, you want to be there, you know, be there at the sidelines capturing it. I can imagine. I mean, you can feel the energy Mm -hmm. from your living room, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah. I imagine being there is quite amazing. It seems like you're, it, you get to be a witness to history mm-hmm. if you didn't actually get the shot of history, which you have. Well, uh, you so. know, I mean, there's a lot of lucky, you know, luck involved. There's right place, right time, right lens. But like you're saying earlier, there's preparation too. Just kind of knowing or having a premonition of where you think things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then having the right lens on hand or the right lens pointed via remote camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing is like nowadays, like they've, I mean, at the Olympics, you've got robotic cameras everywhere. It's crazy. I mean, from when I started to where it is now, when I started it was film cameras that you're holding in your hand. Now you've got robotic cameras that you could fire from the main press center. Like there's one day where I just sat at the main press center and at a computer and I was at four different venues working remote cameras for Sports Illustrated. That's insane. And so I was at wrestling, I was at taekwondo, I was at swimming, I was at diving, more than four venues, I was at fencing, and I was able to, and weightlifting. So I was like at six venues, 
and I was able to just switch computer screens and controls with a joystick. It was like Stop. playing video games. It was like my college career. Stop it. All over you, again. Playing you, video games all day long. Did you like it? What's well, different? Very different. Well, you're watching it on TV, and then there's a delay. And so you, it's a little bit of, you know, you're getting used to the feel of that delay. And it's weird because you're just the eye in the sky. Literally, you're an eye in the sky, and you're looking because most of the remotes are, are, are positioned right over the field of play. Mm. You know? And these are stills. Yeah, they're stills. Yeah, because, I mean, there's the video rights at the Olympics is owned by, you know, one group, and, and you can't take video at the Olympics. But, you know, they're still okay. still images. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say it has to be wide, wide lenses. <clears throat> some of them are wide. Some of them are telephoto, like 7200. Some of them are 24 to 70. Some of them are 16 to 35. So it just matters how high it's mounted from where it's shooting. Like, for example, oh. like the ceiling at weightlifting was maybe, I don't know, 40 30 or 40 feet above where they're lifting the weights and grunting and screaming. And so that was like perfect if you wanted to get the entire, you know, mat, like a 24 to 70, it was perfect. Uh, there was another venue where it was a different lens, you know. So are these Nikons? These are regular, your, um, your camera kit um, No, cameras? no, no, they're not our camera kit. SI has, at least with the operation I was working with, Sports Illustrated, they had a group of technicians that went there even two weeks before we got there. Nice to set all this stuff up, you know, That's and, and nice. kudos to them because A, those Tired. guys tirelessly worked to get these positions. And then secondly, they were working the cameras, you know, probably 85% of the time, but that, you know, 15%, they let us, uh, the other photographers there, try out the cameras, which is kind of fun. Nice. It was good for a day of photos, you know. So cool. at some point at the early Olympics, were you out setting up the remote cameras yourself? Yeah, you kind of yeah. We we set up our remote cameras till last Olympics, but the difference now is with the robotics, they kind of did away with that, and now everything is set up before the Olympics. No one goes up there, no one touches them, and you have fully mobile, massive rigs that are you know the size you know, uh, both your arms around it, and this thing has got 360 degree view on a gimbal, and you can move it around, zoom it. And you have full control wow. over everything. It's very technical. That's crazy. Yeah. Is it a big learning curve, or do you think over the years you've just done this stuff enough to kind of understand? Well, I mean, the, the the remote, you know, live view camera stuff with the, with uh, robotics. I mean, that was my first time using it at the Olympics. But the underwater camera, I mean, I set that up every day, and that's kind of hellish because I mean, it was a static camera. It wasn't a robotic camera. We had one in the diving pool, but I wasn't super comfortable enough with it to put it in the swimming pool for all the Michael Phelps' swims because it wasn't something that I was used to using, hmm. you know, and I'd rather use something that I've been using for four years. And they agreed with me. They said, just go with what you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why you're here is you're doing the underwater stuff. You go with what you're comfortable with. So I ended up putting my just static Aquatech housing down there and, and it worked great every, every time. But the only thing was I have to pull it out at the end of every session and then pull the card and then put it back in at the end of it and reset the angle and everything. So I didn't have like the variety that I could have with a robotics camera, but I just kind of picked my shot. Like I did it the, the way we used to do it. So I just picked my one shot. That's what I had that session. The next session I changed it up, put it in another position, had that shot for that next session. So I kind of just did a checklist of what I took pictures of. About how long does it take to set one of those up with the angle and well, the exposure? And it's a lot of work. See, for example, by the time 
you know, you leave the pool. I think they're starting the night sessions at 10 p.m. So we were done at 1 a.m., really late starts for TV. So we ended up, it's all for TV. Everything's for TV. That kind of sucks for the athletes. Yeah, it's really late. I saw. I mean, at 10 p.m. They should be sleeping. Yeah. And, but it's just all for TV. When you go to the Olympics, it's, it's a big TV show. So it re- literally is a big TV production. By the time everyone got out of the pool, it's 1 a.m. You pull the camera out, you get everything out, you check it, you download the card, you put it back together, you figure out where you know, you're going to set it for the next morning session, mm-hmm. reset it, put it down. Okay, so it's like close to 3.30 a.m. now. Right. You take a bus back to your bed, you sleep <laughs> for two hours. And then the next session in the morning starts at 6 a.m. The warm-up starts at 6 a.m. So you get there around <clears throat> you know, 6.37, and then they start swimming at like 8.39. Okay. So you don't get any sleep. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, for swimming, it was the first 10 days of the Olympics. So, I mean, that's what I did every day. Exhausting. For the first 10 days, you know. Do you know Michael Phelps personally, or have you met, and do you know any of these athletes? Personally, well, I mean, we don't go on, on hang, but like, you know, if I see him, he'll he'll acknowledge me and say what's up. Like it was kind of cool. After his last swim, I went up to him, shook his hand. You know, we talked for a little bit, and I mean, I've been shooting the guy since he was 14. And when he broke his first record, I was there, his first world record, and I was there when he broke his last one. So it was it was cool to see, you know, his. You know, I was there for the bookends of his career and all the mm-hmm. way through the middle. You know, and there's guys like I've shot like him or Tiger Woods that have definitely like change the game in sports huge yeah but then it's also been great to capture images of these guys because as a photographer that's what you want to be able to photograph the best of the best so who else have you been super impressed with that you've shot <laughs> those two guys are obviously the two that jump out at me um, have you photographed kelly i forget kelly slater yeah i have yeah i've done portraits with him and then i've shot him at, in competition from the water yeah i mean he's an he's world class uh, i mean he's the king he's you know still at it and he's in his 40s and as as good if not better than most of the guys on the tour still you know he'll go down as probably the best surfer of all time you know yeah i mean i've been lucky to see guys like kobe bryant i caught like michael jordan at the tail end of his career on his way out oh okay. you know like pretty much right before he retired so yeah talented guys then so when i talked to you about photography it seems like you're very technically minded about it I mean obviously we all have to know how to use our cameras and we shoot manually and know how to what lenses to do what but you you are going above and beyond for what you have to shoot but you actually were an art major in college is that correct that's correct fine art it seems like you're very well-rounded or I mean do you still feel like you get to be an artist at all as a photographer yeah absolutely it? I kind of like feel like you know I'm a, a renaissance guy like I love to paint that was my passion drawing and painting was my passion all the way through my 20s and then when I graduated from UCLA and I realized that I wasn't gonna make money anytime soon as a painter I quickly switched gears and became a photographer at that point I was already assisting photographers in the area so it was a very easy transition you know my first real job right out of college happened to be with the largest sport agency in the world so it was like, and okay, who was know, that? all sport photography. Yeah, all sport had an office in Pacific Palisades and one in London and one in New York. And they're at the time were the number one sports photography agency in the world, hands down. They had the best photographers, they had the best contacts, they had the best, 
you know, book of business and the, the biggest reach. And they're the first company to put everything online digitally. And then they were purchased by Getty Images and then sized with Getty for 10 years. And then on my 10 year anniversary, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go freelance. And I kind of wanted to do different th things, you know, like the studio was one of the things I wanted to do. Just different things I, I knew I probably wouldn't have the opportunity to do if I stayed on staff. Because mm -hmm. just time-wise, I wouldn't have time to do that. There's good things about being on staff with, with a company is obviously the benefits and the assignments come to you. You know, you don't have to hustle like you do when you're a freelancer. So, mm -hmm. But in, in terms of answering your question about, you know, being an artist and working technically as opposed to, you know, working like not technically, I think I work more organically. Like what happens is like I figure out, you know, what I want to do and my cameras are set. And then I kind of, I use a lot of just intuition when I'm shooting, you know, I kind of feel mm -hmm. where things might happen and kind of go with that feeling and it's weird because I think everyone has has an intuitive sense to themselves like I know my sons do too like they can tell when something's going to happen so usually like I'm about like five or ten seconds out usually when I know I'm like okay something's going to happen there and usually if I trust my gut feeling it mm. serves me well you know cool I like to hear that your gut feeling takes you to a lot of well-composed photos. <laughs> You're very, your photos seem very gra graphic almost. It's kind of almost have a perfect composition to them. Well, I mean, th th that's the thing is, you, you know, if you know or figure out where things may fall through, you can line up your lens, pre-focus, and things come to you. And that tends to be the way I kind of work with sports photography is I like to frame it up. It's almost like I mean, I've, I don't do any motion, but I think it's similar to how motion guys work. They set up their shot and they kind of wait for it to come through. As like a lot of sports action guys, they just follow and fire away frames and mm -hmm. use AF. And I, I'm not one of those guys. I, when I struggle, I start shooting like that. But when I know what I want to get and I frame it up, I usually taste, take like less pictures and the pictures are better. You know, I have a higher percentage. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of just framing, pre-thought, pre-focus, waiting the stuff to come to you. Isn't pre-focus difficult? No, because I mean, if you know where the action's gonna happen, say if I know where the action's gonna happen in a picture, and I'm saying, okay, I'm gonna shoot at F8 or F11 because I want everything to be sharp. I'm trying to right. incorporate the okay. background, the foreground, the, the subject. If I'm F8 or F11, that's a good, you know, maybe 10 to 15 feet of focus yeah. that you have there. If you're using a, a 70 to 200 lens or anything wider, it's even more so, you know. You know, pre-focus isn't a bad thing. I even use it on portraits. Like when I'm shooting a portrait, I know someone's gonna come through, or I, it's all pre-focus. You know, I don't ever use that front I think button I'm focus. Have to I don't ever use that front that button more. focus. Like, cause like if you just pop the back button and you have that little plane of focus right there, you don't need to move it unless the you, subject moves. I've switched to back button now. Oh, good. Yes. Yay! <laughs> Christy's a back button focus. Me too. I am too. Yay! Yeah. I is, like it now. Yeah. I really do. You, well, you could compose your photos better. Yes. I mean, when you have it's it on the freeing. front button, yeah, when you have it on the front button, it's just chasing. You're chasing the entire time. And I feel like if you just switch that paradigm of just, okay, here's the plane of focus, and I know that it's on them, or I'm going to move it for them, you know? Yeah. I have a few things to say about that. I mean, Teresa and I often shoot really low depth of field, yeah. so... You know, yeah. that's a different... Well, I do too. I mean, I've got 85-1.4 that I use for portraits. And I shoot it at 1.4. So an eyeball is sharp, but the eyelashes aren't. Yeah. So when I'm shooting like that, I mean, and I'm shooting just not a portrait, but shooting like a scene, well, you have to be on your game yeah. to get 
the right part sharp. You Refocus know? more. Yeah, and, and the take right more. Yeah, and the right part sharp for most people is the closer eye. Like the eye that's closest to you in the frame is the one you want sharp. You don't want the back one sharp and the front one yeah, out of yeah. sharp, out of focus. So you know, I do a lot mm -hmm. of. I go back and forth if I'm shooting something and I don't want the background to be seen and I want to blow out the background, well then I'll shoot at 2.8, 1.4, you know, a really low depth of field. Just matters if I like the background or not. Yeah. Yeah. When I shot for newspapers and I learned a lot from shooting sports, mm -hmm. although it was not my favorite thing to shoot because often it was cold nighttime, bad lit football yeah. games, yeah. but it taught me a lot how to shoot quickly, but also I remember being told like shooting soccer, for example, choose your background first and let the let the action Absolutely. come into frame. So Absolutely. I kind of forget that now as I'm even shooting weddings or, you know, or, or events that I have to remind myself that if I'm not finding pictures, I'm kind of trying to force it to just find the right background. And it's all about the background because you can have a beautiful action shot or a beautiful moment and then you have a telephone pole going through their head and it's ruined. <laughs> and it's not the telephone pole's fault. It's just that <laughs> you didn't find that background angle yeah. and the cool thing is like when you go to say you go to a big sporting event and and you think you get a great picture and you're like yeah the background's okay and then you see another photographer's picture and you're like oh crap <laughs> that was a nice background mm -hmm. you captured the moment you yeah. know so it's always good to keep yourself in check when you see someone who's either was just lucky or planned it better you know mm -hmm. but it's all about backgrounds for sure you know and having it sharp well composed well exposed and all the other good things light too. yeah all the other things. Sometimes you can't control the light, you know? If there's shitty light, I'll yeah. go backlit. You know? You go, go backlit if it's shitty light, right? That's what I do a lot. It's go-to. Yeah. yeah. Should we talk about, like, just kind of a general question, but, like, how you've developed over your career? Like, maybe... Yeah. You get, what you have girls, you... You girls could ask me anything you want. What have you, <laughs> uh, like, changes you've noticed in yourself or mm -hmm. your style or things you've learned? Well, I mean, I think, you know... After doing this for like 20 years now, like one thing I've noticed is I used to really kind of marry myself to the photos I took. Like I'd chase after this idea and I thought I got it and I was all stoked on this picture. And then later on, I took an editor to tell me, you know, you just didn't get it, you know, mm. let it go. Mm. And now I take photos and I mean, maybe it's because it's, we're in the digital age now but I take photos and then I just plug them in, put them on my computer and I move on to the next thing. And sometimes I don't even look at those photos again for weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I come back to them and then I look at them with a fresh eye. But I don't really sit there and mill over the photo that I worked hard to get on. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I just kind of keep on going. So I think, you know, I don't know if that's maturity or just kind of... Is it less, they're less precious to you? Or other yeah. life things in life are more precious. Yeah, I think it's just just the mileage after you've done that, seen so many things. Like you don't sit there and you just don't, you know, tap yourself on the back so much. On it photos. normalizes a little bit. Yeah, maybe. yeah. There's there's always another picture. What's the name of this podcast again? <laughs> the last, the picture. last picture. You're yeah. only as good as your last picture is what I was yeah. told. And so you might as well keep on shooting because if you took a picture. 10 years ago that you're famous for, no one remembers it. Yeah. Go out and take another one. <laughs> you know? what, what is your last picture? I took a picture of a surfboard I wanted to get <laughs> this morning. I don't know if your iPhone pictures. What about, what about the last picture that stands out to you? Is it the assignment we already talked about? 
last picture from that New York Times assignment, it was kind of a cool one that we did when the sunset was going down. The sky was super red and the surfer was just front lit by an onboard nice. light source. And that was kind of cool because the sky was like fire red and he's kind of this wow. cool blue. Yeah, yeah I'll show it to you. That's lucky. Well, we'll have to post this online for everyone yeah. to look at. You said that the story's out? Uh, yeah, story's out. New York Times website. Just go to it and you'll see it. And it's called, It's a Nice Night for Surfing. Beware <laughs> of Sharks. So, I mean, you've had a lot of successes now and you've gotten you know pretty used to living at this, I would say, upper... Make a comfortable living as a professional photographer, but a lot of people just would dream and inspire to be. But do you remember the first assignment you've got that you were excited about, or you felt like you'd made it to some other level? So, I mean, at that point, I was when I was at All Sport, I was working five days a week on the picture desk. And if you don't know what a picture desk is, you know, pretty much is like the hub where all the digital photos come through for an agency or a newspaper or whatever. And so you sit there and you see thousands and thousands of photos a day and you're pushing them out in the wire, fact-checking them, checking the caption, making sure everything's in order before they're published, before they're sent out to all the clients. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was doing for, you know, five hmm. days a week, nine hours a day. And my first assignment with that was I was there for the uh, Nagano Olympic Games. So I was kind of the picture desk editor for the Nagano Olympics, hmm. watching all this stuff come through. And it was good because it's you see how everything works. You see the photographers in the field, you see the editors sending you the pictures, you see the pictures coming to you, and then you see the client using it, and the pictures going out to the client. Then you see, this is back in film days, then the pictures come back and they get refiled and duplicated for dupe sets. So you see how the entire thing works. And on those two days off, I go out and shoot. So my two days off when I go and shoot, I just go shoot local football, local baseball. They would give you assignments. They would, they would give or me you. assignments, but I would have to really press hard. Be like, hey, I really want to go, you know. Because back in the day, they don't want like someone who's working in the office to go out and become a photographer because in some ways, that person's doing a good job in the office. But at some point, that person's going to earn their wings. Mm -hmm. but, they ha but, you know, when you're working for like an old English company with, you know, these guys who are old school, you have to, quote unquote, pay your dues, mate. Mm -hmm. You have to do, you know the hours that are needed and you have to bust your butt in their eyes to get to the point where they give you your, your wings to go be a photographer. So I would just shoot local baseball, Dodgers, USC, UCLA football games. So That's kind of what I cut it gave my teeth you, on. It gave you access to these? It gave me access to these games. They gave me a credential, but the hardest part back then was getting a long lens to, to use for these games or um, the camera gear to use because mm -hmm. if you're you know, getting nine bucks an hour, you can't really afford a you know, five thousand dollar lens, twenty thousand dollars in gear. You know, mm -hmm. like you know, if four hundred two eight back then was almost ten thousand bucks. You know, so it's a it's a, a lot of money yeah. for a, for a little twenty year old kid <laughs> who doesn't have you know, you know, trust fund to, to go out and buy this stuff. So yeah. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot of work, but you know, like so that's how I kind of cut my teeth with local events, and then. I had an editor who kind of saw what I was doing and eventually he's like, oh, this guy has an okay eye. Let's send him out in the field. So then, you know, you get the promotion. Cool. Yeah. Long time ago. <laughs> have you ever seriously risked your life on the job? I came close to... Well, I, mean, I guess it's all your definition of seriously risking your life. I mean, I've hung out of blimps, you know, I've hung out of airplanes and helicopters. I've 
been like in the impact zone of like really big surf waves, like, you know, over 20 feet in the water. Yeah, I mean, there's always a little bit of risk involved. You, have, you know, you're, you're diving at 100 feet, you know, so, you know, so things can go wrong, but, you know, knock on wood, it's, you just have to prepare, you know, and not take stupid risks, you know, and work within your boundaries and just get the pictures you need to get. And then know kind of when to call it a day and when not to cross that line, you know? So I'm not like a, a war photographer who's been shot at, you know? I was going to say, you would know? you ever go in a war zone? Oh, well, I think before I had family, I'd consider it, you know? But I like shooting sports because you don't get shot at. <laughs> <laughs> I mean? But like, I think if you put me in a situation to, to shoot, like be a photojournalist at a war or in a conflict zone, I could do it. Whether I liked it or not, I mean, I don't know if I'd like it, but now I wouldn't take that risk. You know, I'd rather get my hot dog at halftime and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Christy? Would you? No. Yeah. Way, Jose. No way, Jose. I thought I wanted to be more, I never wanted to be a conflict photographer, but I wanted to travel the world and see more cultures, or I wouldn't mind shooting for more NGOs or, you know nice things mm -hmm. they're trying to make a difference in the world but I don't yeah. think it's gonna it's not my calling to put myself at risk besides I am a mother of two children and a mm -hmm. wife and have a different purpose in life would you have you ever I think I would have too but now you know I'm tied to to being here and not yeah. traveling the world yeah. extensively because of family but yeah. I think that I would have I wouldn't say no I don't think I would have said no back in when I worked at newspapers I had to do spot news I think I learned then I didn't really have the, I don't know, the strength to meet things head on, like horrible, horrible situations, because some things I could just didn't want to take photos of. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've shot stuff for NGOs in Africa and, and been in these pretty, not hairy situations, but just seeing stuff right in front of you, that's pretty Indeed. appalling. And I've, you know, shot like fire, like fi just fire coverage, you know, mm -hmm. and that's pretty dangerous, like cause the, the wind can turn and next thing you know the fire's coming at you like at 60 miles per hour right. and you can get fried and you know I, I remember shooting the the San Diego fires you know over 10 years ago like about 12 years ago back in 2005 I think it was and like in Julian and out there yeah and, I mean I saw I mean I, I saw some horrible things and then I went to the burn unit afterwards and saw the people that uh, you know were you know 90 80 90 percent burns on their body and it's just Horrible thing with, wow. you know, oh and just, just, you know, you, you see that stuff and, and you realize, you know, how quickly things could go south, you know. And you shot that. You yeah. You shot the, the burns. Yeah. And I shot all that stuff. And, and the, the, the crazy thing is I know a lot of just being a photojournalist. I know a lot of other photojournalists who just shoot war, just shoot conflict, you know, and there are guys that do that who... I used to shoot alongside with and they used to just shoot sports so and they made the transition in, mm. in, in becoming conflict photographers and they've be, become very successful you know guys like Daniel Berhuliak you know he's one of the big big guys right now you know David Gutenfelder you know for the AP like he's these guys are like you know in the final finalists for the um, you know the biggest photo contest in the world for what they do and they make a big difference because people see the photos and they see what's going on and it educates people what's going on and it makes a difference at the end of the day. And that's why I think you have to have that type of photography, even though it's a risk being taken. Mm -hmm. The amount of people 
people that need to see those photos for change to happen see those photos and then things actually happen I think so absolutely yeah. oh yeah they're greatly appreciated too bad it's all fake news a lot of hard work for fake news <laughs> it's all fake news it's all fake it's all done in photoshop and <laughs> you know everything else I'll have to look those guys up I don't know if I know that no they're yeah they're amazing photographers and there's it. so there's so many of them I mean there's so many guys that are out there hopefully we'll have one of them a conflict photographer on the show at some point I'm trying to think of uh, there's a couple of guys who are not too far away that I could recommend cool is there still are there still any photographers that you don't have to name them but you look up to or you see their work and you're like damn I need to still work harder to get there or Kind of feel pretty good where you're at no i mean like you have to have your your heroes and your idols you know that you look up to and and guys also that mentor you too in the sports world i mean everything that you know that you do you look back and you're like oh well, walter yos has done that already you know mm -hmm. and until this day he's in my opinion for a guy who could shoot feature you know or or spot on sports he was you know, he had a great, beautiful eye of way of capturing things. And, you know, his career was lined up with some great athletes as well, including Michael Jordan, you know. So, and I look at guys like Neil Leifer, you know, he lined up his career with, you know, Muhammad Ali and other greats. But the cool thing about those guys is they're the first to do a lot of things. Like the way they approached it was pretty groundbreaking, in my opinion, you mm -hmm. know. So, in terms of, you know, inspiration yeah those guys are definitely inspirational you know do you um, know them personally those guys yeah yeah they're, they're i consider Bam. them friends you know yeah but definitely you know those guys are on, on a different pedestal i think and historically speaking too they're if you look back at a history book of sports photography their names will be in there you know as important to the medium so how do you balance your life no <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know that's the the, the question. That's the that's, joke. That's the that's the challenge. You know, when you have kids and you know, you're home, you know, and you're married, and you know, you have everything going on there, and then you travel and you've got a studio to worry about, and then you also have like you need to hobbies you're surf, passionate about surfing or yeah, paddling. I mean, yeah, this morning you know, I'm up at six o'clock and I'm paddling. Then I gotta after this I have to go take care of bills and. Fun things, then I gotta go Normal pick up. life stuff. Yeah, then I gotta go pick up the kids. So the days are pretty nonstop, but you know, you only live once. You just gotta keep on grinding away and stay happy and keep everyone else around you happy as possible. And you know, it's definitely a balancing act for sure. Do you still enjoy your travel? Uh, to a point. I don't travel as much as I used to. You know, I used to travel a lot more. I kind of just pick and choose my spots now. By design? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, when I have to travel like if a good job comes up and I can't say no to it I go you go but before it was like when I was on staff it was like they're giving you the assignment you yeah. kind of have to go not have to but you know it's your job yeah but so now being able to pick and choose like if something's worth it to me to do and it works out with my schedule at home and everything you know my personal life then yeah I'll, I'll take it you know and if I can get good frequent flyer miles out of it too then awesome yeah. <laughs> you must have good great miles uh, well, I hate to say that I'm a United freaking flyer, but <laughs> I, I am, I am, you know, after everything that went down with them a couple weeks ago, I, I'm still with United and I have been with them for 20 years. So I've got a good amount of miles accrued, but that's I, the one, one thing, if you're smart about traveling, 
you know, in this industry or just as, you know, if you're a photographer or you do anything with travel, if you're smart with it and you put all your frequent flyers under hotel, same hotels, same, you know, airlines and all that stuff, then you don't really have to pay for your vacation ever. That's if great. If you do it correctly. That's smart. Yeah. It's a perk. It's a perk. Yeah. It's a well-deserved perk after all the times you have to cruise and yeah. be away from home. Do you have a certain way of prepping for some assignments that mentally, or is this, do you ever get kind of nervous before you go in or you prepare so well? I mean, do you ever have to psych yourself up or yeah, certain yeah, you music definitely, to listen yeah. to? No, I don't play Eye of the Tiger <laughs> like before, before a shoot. Before, you know, so me back yeah, in the days. Yeah, I don't, I don't play music to psych myself up. I know some guys who do that, but what I do is I kind of visualize the shots I want to get, the gear I need. And then I literally take, you know, 48 hours before, if not more, I start laying out everything I need. Because every assignment, you're going to use different gear. And no two assignments is kind of exactly the same, you know. So there'll be assignments where I'll need lighting gear. I'm doing a portrait or I'll need lighting gear for, you know, an environment. And, or there'll be assignments where I need remote camera gear or underwater gear or aerial gear, you know. So it's just a matter of just laying everything out and then just making sure everything's working correctly, you know. So that's the main challenge. And then after that, packing the bag for, for the clothing and everything else I'll need, you know. Darn, I was kind of hoping you would tell me what songs you would listen to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I can't give away. I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I don't know. I don't listen to you any, like, pump-up music. I don't listen to pump-up music for, for photo shoots. I do for other things, but not for photo shoots. What's, like, some of your pump-up music? <laughs> um, you know, I like heavy, like heavy rock for, I mean, I love everything. Metallica. Not, not so Metallica, like more heavy classic rock. Like I like Led Zeppelin. I love like, you know, all the seventies rock stuff. And then I like alternative rock too, like heavier alternative rock. But I listen to everything that's playing now that my kids like to classical music, Mm -hmm. to reggae. I mean, I have a really wide range. Uh, My playlist is pretty wide pretty wide mm-hmm. i don't really discriminate unless it's country i don't listen to, country. <laughs> to everything but country pretty much there's some good country out there there is but i just they, i just well no it's just i don't know when i'd play it because i just i can't get into it i guess maybe I that's kind of how i am too i can't really get into it i but. just don't pick the country station because yeah and I, I don't think i'm gonna want to listen to it long yeah that's probably the one genre i'm not i'm not i don't have any playlists for country unfortunately <laughs> yeah, it seems to be almost every rock I listen to, if it's not hard, or like, it's pretty swampy rock, like has some country vibe to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like rock that has like blues, bluesy vibe to it, you know, but also just whatever the flavor of the month is, like, you know, I usually dig whatever songs, you know, playing on the top radio. 40s. Yeah, top 40s. They're catchy. Yeah. <laughs> they, they get stuck in your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like there's so much to talk about. We could stay and talk for days, and I feel like we kind of just scratched the surface. You know, we talked about a lot of different stuff, but I know we didn't get deep into a lot of stuff that we could have talked to. Maybe the, there will be a Donald Morelli part two interview, but is there anything else that huge that we missed that you wanted to talk about or anything, ask? Anything coming up soon? Well, I'm going... Right after this, I think I'm gonna go out and go for a surf, maybe. And uh, what spot? Take my bill, bills. I don't know. I have to look at the, the uh, bills. cams. Where's bills? Paying bills. Paying bills. 
Oh, you know? oh, I'm like, I'm getting my, I'm getting my bills. I don't know where that spot is. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just gonna go. Never heard of that I'm gonna go check it out right now before <laughs> doing stuff this afternoon, and then tomorrow I'm going after coaching my son's football team. Hopefully we get a win. I'm gonna head down to Mexico for Buddy's 50th birthday. I'm just surfing down there and hanging out for a couple of days. Taking your camera? Mm, maybe one small camera. Yeah. Like your iPhone? Yeah, I mean my iPhone. <laughs> or like a little GoPro or something. Do you have a mirrorless yet? No, I'm looking at a couple because those would be a perfect little travel camera. For sure. Yeah. Fuji or Olympus? I think I'd probably get that Fuji I mean, X100. Sony. Fuji or Sony? I'd probably get that Fuji X100 or that new one, the X2, whatever it is. Sony's got some good yeah, they do. A whatever. Yeah, and there's some photographers who only use those cameras and they have some really nice images they get out of it, you know? I think that's probably the next thing to buy. Cool. Mirrorless camera. Okay, well, thanks. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, thanks for Teresa. coming down to our studio. Oh, it was such a trip. <laughs> yeah. It took me five minutes to get here, and I appreciate you guys doing this. Yeah, thanks for coming inside on this sunny day. Yeah. Until thanks. next time. Later. <laughs>